everyone, JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer here on a post trade deadline. It's August. The trade, the first trade deadline is done, and we're going to analyze it. You know, if you've gone to baseballamerica.com already, you've seen we've ranked, I think it was 69 prospects. Uh, I'll avoid the nice joke here, but uh, the, you know, it is something where we looked at every prospect who was traded for another player in the last six weeks leading up. You can dive into those. Actually, that's a useful thing to have open while we talk about it because. We're not gonna cover all 69 individually here, but we do have a lot up there, how these guys line up. Feel free to dive into that, which feel free to dive into baseballamerica.com. Just a reminder, as always, it's a great time to subscribe. We have coming up next week. Next week, we'll have an updated top 100. It'll be a modest update. There's not gonna be a whole lot of uh, changes there. But we'll also have organization talent rankings where we will take and take a look now that the trade deadline is over how do the farm systems stack up? Who's number one? Which is actually a little bit more closer than maybe you think. And who's in that bottom tier as well? And so we'll have fun with that. But if you go to baseballamerica.com at the top to click join now and you can join many of your friends who are in your fantasy leagues if you're in the fantasy league. And they have an advantage on you because they know about the prospects if you because they subscribe to Baseball America. So Kyle, but today we're talking about the prospects, but we're talking about the trade deadline in general as well. What teams did for the big league clubs as well. And one of the things that does stand out is really it's, it's almost hard to find a team that's in it that didn't do something to make themselves better. But in the American League, which is already shaping up to be an absolute battle royale where some very worthy teams are going to be left by the side of the road after the division series. You know, probably not before then. Maybe one in the wild card. But by the end of the division series, two teams who are really good teams are going to be what left uh, on, the, on the outside looking in. And obviously only one team can make it out of the ALCS. But so knowing that, we had an AL that basically really stacked up. We're going to see teams going to the bullpens uh, frequently and early come playoff time. I that, think. that was the most interesting thing. After all the dust settled, you take a look back and see what teams did big picture-wise. The American League, each team that's in the division lead has at least a four-game advantage right now. You really have a nice sense of who the division winners are going to be. It's really only six teams competing for five playoff spots. So because you know that, a lot of the adjustments were, okay, we just need to strengthen some of our weak points as opposed to get an impact player who can put us over the top by you know, playing third base every day or upgrading our outfield every day. You look at most of the big trades, Cleveland getting Brad Hand, Houston getting Ryan Presley and Roberto Osuna. The Yankees went with the starters route with you know Jay Happ and Lance Lynn, but they also got a big reliever in Zach Britton, down to the Mariners with you know Zach Duke and Sam Toyavala and, and uh, Adam Warren, Oakland with Juris Familia. By and large, the best players traded in the American League were all relievers. The best position players really in, to the American League contenders, it's you know Ian Kinsler, who's not the Ian Kinsler you remember of the past, and Leonis Martin and Cameron Mabin. It was not position player heavy. It was defense heavy, by the way, also. that All three of those moves are moves that are made primarily to improve defenses. So, but bullpen and defense, again, little things that can help get you, you know, past another team that's similarly stacked. On the National League side, where, you know, again, we mentioned the American League, each team in first place has at least a four-game lead. On the National League, on the National League side, no first-place team has more than a half-game lead. 
you've got three teams tied for the second wildcard spot mm-hmm. right now and another one that's uh, ran striking distance. So because it's so much more bunched up, you saw national league teams go out and make deals for big impact everyday position players. The Dodgers, who right now are not in first place in the NLS, the Arizona Diamondbacks are as of this recording. They go get Manny Machado and Brian Dozier. The Diamondbacks go get Eduardo Escobar. The Brewers go get Mike Moustakis and Jonathan Scope. You know, the Phillies go get Wilson Ramos out from the Rays and, you know, keep uh, Asdrubal Cabrera in the National League but acquire him from the Mets. So I just thought it was interesting seeing, you know, the NL contenders going after impact everyday players where the American League side, it really was, okay, let's upgrade our bullpen, let's upgrade our defense, try and do the little things. And it just really stood out in stark contrast, I think, when you take a step back and look at the whole picture. I look at it, the thing that also stands out with this, which, as we said, pretty much every contender did something, which is not surprising because the cost, when you take away the only significant cost for teams to upgrade themselves in really ways that are helpful, not, again, we're not talking about the Manny Machado trades of the world, but you can acquire rentals at such a dirt cheap price, especially if you're willing to take on salary, that because of that, it means not just that everyone can do it, but because, I mean, there's no farm system out there that can't, but on top of that, I mean, the Cubs do not have a very good farm system right now. No problems making trades to just, you know, to help where they needed help. But the other thing on top of that is, is that I think teams have to be a, a kind of accounting for this going into the season now that know, knowing, you know what, if there's a spot or two that open up and end up being holes for us during the season, it is not going to be hard to go out there and fill those. The Brewers managed to do it in a way where they kind of like, when the dust cleared, it's like, wow, we've got more guys for these spots than we have spots. And it's like, yeah, you know, this is, hey, the, the price was so good that we couldn't turn this down, even if we didn't need a second another second baseman, potentially. You know, it's interesting seeing the way the game has shifted because you're seeing, you know, solid, established veterans getting moved for a lot of times organizational non-prospect types. And 25 years ago, teams would never have made these kinds of deals, but it's where we are now with the focus on years of control and, you know, shedding salary and whatnot. I mean, you mentioned the Cubs, right? The Cubs, Red Sox, Diamondbacks, and Mariners. Those are four of probably the bottom five farm systems in the game today. All four of those teams not only made a move, but made multiple moves to upgrade themselves. And didn't and, trade away their best prospects in doing so. Exactly. The Red Sox getting Kinsler and Uvalde. You know, the Mariners making all their bullpen additions. In addition to the Span Cologne edition they made earlier in the year, which has worked out very well for them. You know, the Diamondbacks go get Eduardo Escobar, Jake Diekman, Brad Ziegler. I mean, none of these teams had prospects to spare, but they did because... Because every, it doesn't cost a whole lot. I can't tell you how many trades happened in the last week where we would pull up our notes or, in some cases, guys who, let's just be completely honest, we didn't have any new notes on. Why did we not have new notes on them? Because they were so far down on uh, organizational depth chart that they weren't guys that scouts, you know, when we talk to scouts that they bring up. And then you would reach out and say, hey, so what did you think of this guy? And it would be like, or guy. Maybe he is an up and down dude. Maybe he's a utility man. Now, there will always end up being one of these guys from one of these trades that you look at back on it a few years from now and you say, whoa, that scout, there was a scout for them who saw something 
that most people did not at the time. And this guy ends up being better than where we have him at this time. It's going to happen. But for that, there's going to be 20 guys who, 25 guys who were never going to hear something significant again with their being traded to their new team. There are a lot of guys also with this. It always happens every year. There are a lot of players who are going to be needing to be protected for the 40-man for the first time. This And a lot of these guys who are traded or acquired are not going to be protected on the 40-man and aren't going to be taken in the Rule 5, which, again, tells you right there kind of what we're talking about as far as a lot of these guys were traded. So it's just interesting. I think in the past, you know, we've talked about this a lot, right? You want to, when you build your farm system, keep the best guys, trade away the depth. And we just see that again and again and again that, look, Cole Hamels, what he could potentially give the Cubs this year is going to be way more in all likelihood than what Eddie Butler and Raleigh Lacey will ever deliver to the Texas Rangers. You feel pretty comfortable saying that. Yes. You have a But he also freed the Rangers from his salary, which is right. a part of and, and that's again, money and, and, is a big part of this. And and so I think it's just interesting seeing the, you know how it's changed a little bit and it just kind of reinforces we talked about this in the pre-deadline video, we talked about it in previous years. Less than 20% of these guys traded at deadlines ever become consequential big leaguers. But despite that, every team is willing to make these moves in part because of salaries, in part because they figure we're going to lose a guy at the end of the year. Let's get something back, even if the guy isn't really anything. Well, again, and there's two ways you can do that. Like when you're doing that kind of trade, there is to, 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 to stretch an analogy to its breaking point. The one way you can do that is is that okay, player X is essentially, let's value him at, he's worth 100 units. And this team is willing to give you back 20 units in return. Okay, and so that's what you end up doing, is, is that this player is going to be more valuable to them than, this, than the new player we're getting is going to be for us. He's going to be a role player. It's going to be inexpensive. He'll help us for a couple of years, and then that'll be it. Or the other way you can do it is... You basically trade this player and you say the player we're getting back in return has a one in a hundred shot of being a star and he has a 50 of a hundred shot of never being anything. You can take the high risk, you know, high reward gamble and most of the times, you're talking about guys who are four years, five years away, most times it doesn't work out. But if it does, that'll be the trade that everyone's still talking about, you know, a decade later. It's, you know... But again, when we talk about that, like the trades that we're talking about in the what now is my history, but it's ancient history because I'm old. When we talk about Jeff Bagwell being traded for Larry Anderson, when we talk about John Smoltz being traded for Doyle Alexander, those were rentals. And the players that were being traded as prospects, Jeff Bagwell was one of the better prospects in the, the, uh, in the, in the Red Sox system at that point. He was considered one of their better prospects. You could read the Baseball Americas at the time talking about him. And he was traded for a rental reliever, not a rental closer even, but a rental reliever. And it was like, yeah, okay. And that was the deal at the time. Or when you talk about Smoltz for Alexander, Alexander was a starter, and he was a good starter. But John Smoltz, it wasn't something where this was John Smoltz and he had just been drafted. People knew that John Smoltz had a really good arm already. Those kind of trades do not happen now. They just don't. Now, if you want the modern-day equivalent of Larry Anderson, he gets thrown in in a trade. If you'll take on his salary, you can also pay less for your price for Kevin Gossman because Darren O'Day is kind of a uh, modern-day version of a Larry Anderson, 
But again, that's a we look at the Orioles did started and they should uh, a complete rebuild. They if it was not either nailed down in Baltimore, which Chris Davis's contract means he's uh, nailed, he's glued, he's riveted, he's stuck there. Or you have a 10-5, 10 years and five in, in Baltimore like Adam Jones and you can turn down a trade. Other than that, they basically, anything and everything was available. And they did, that makes sense that they did that. But at the same time, you look at like the return that they got, Kyle, for Kevin Gossman and Darren O'Day and feels light, doesn't it? And it feels extremely light. You know, I answered this in a, in a chat earlier. I talked about it on the radio show. I think if that's – I understand you want to shed salary, but by that point the Orioles had already shed a bunch of salary. So, you know, it's something where you look at Kevin Gossman and, and how he compares to some of the other stars who moved. He's young. He's actually – his ERA plus is better than Chris Archer's. The Archer has better peripherals. I mean, it's one of those things where I think – And he also has – this is not a rental. This is a guy who – Still under team control. This was – Definitely a head scratcher. It's exactly what the Braves need. A guy who's in the middle of his career, they need to go with the guy, the young guys who are going to be filtering more and more into the and rotation. By, by the fact he had a 4-4 ERA playing in front of the defense he did in the division he did is nothing short of a miracle. Now he's going from one of the worst defensive teams to one of the best with the Braves. So I do think the Orioles are going to look back at that one and it'll hurt. But I think when you look at their total, you know, everything big picture – you know, did they sell a little low on Jonathan Scope? Yes, but getting Villar back and if Villar can, you know, return to his 2016 form, it might help a little bit. You, well, Luis Ortiz, be, is, a good pro- Luis Ortiz is a good prospect. But hold on a second. Let's unpack that, though, when you say that. All, if you're an Orioles fan, though, do understand if that happens, what you're hoping to do with that is then turn Villar around and trade him because Jonathan Villar will not be a good player the next time the Orioles are good. Fair? I mean, like... He'll be, his career, he'll be in the absolute tail end of his career by the next time they're good. Well, here's what's interesting. A lot of what the guys the Orioles got are guys that are at double-A. That's Houston L. Diaz, Luis Ortiz. Some of their best prospects mm-hmm. are in the upper minors. Austin Hayes, Ryan Mountcastle. So I do think you can envision a scenario where if things really start to click, these guys make their big leagues debuts next year, they start to really get into it in 2020, 2021. You can see the scenario. Now, they need a lot more arms to make that happen. I was going to say, there's no question I, I don't that know who's they're short, that. They're short on arms. But I, I do think it's not like this is a club that started a rebuild and acquired a bunch of guys at, at the rookie ball levels. I mean, there are some guys that are in the system, playing, having success in the upper minors where you can say, okay, they'll be ready for their shot in a year or two. At the same time, though, I would also argue, and I've heard this criticism from a couple of front office people I know, who say, the when you go after closer to the big leagues, guys like they did, and like we've seen other teams do, generally that ends up blowing up in your face. And the reason being is, is that you get guys who have chance, like the guys that they got with most in most cases are guys who have a chance to be solid players. But, again, this is a, another front office exec from a different team. But his point was, look, yeah, you may fail, but you need to swing for the fences in that case because this is not a team. There are teams out there. Pittsburgh making the move they did, which is like, okay, we're going to try to contend this year, but we think that this is also useful for us. But they're a team that's saying we need a piece here or a piece there. The Orioles have very few players. Now that Machado, they have very few players on their big league roster right now who will be in any way part of a next good Orioles team. And so the argument can be made, well, if it ends up being that you acquire higher upside guys who have a little bit higher risk, that's okay because 
you're probably three or four years away anyway. And, and like, again, and I, I mean, I can see the argument either way. But. And I think that's where mixing and matching comes in. They did go get a guy like a Gene Carlos Encarnacion, who is a more high upside, higher risk Absolutely. type. So I, I think they did a solid job. Look, position players, pitchers, mix and match, some higher guys, some lower guys. I think overall, you know, the Orioles, look, they're one of the biggest storylines this trade deadline for plenty of good reasons. And I think when, you, when I take a step back and I look at the whole big picture, did they knock it out of the park and just acquire, you know, a bunch of guys who are going to, you know, be the next, you know, lead them into the next dynasty? No. But did they acquire a volume of guys who have a chance to be good big leaguers both on the pitching side and the position player side? Yeah. And I think all things considered, that's, that's all the Orioles can really do, get as many good potential okay. players as they could as opposed to getting even one guy, you know, one guy who's a stub but he's in rookie ball. I, I, I would rather take what the Orioles did with – Getting a bunch of really interesting arms and arms and position players and scouted them through the levels. Who, who did knock it out of the park to you? The Blue Jays. That's the other American League East team. You know, and again, I wrote about this, this in the channel. They traded six big leaguers start to finish, and they got maybe I, I, not you know Brandon Drury, who is a big leaguer, mm-hmm. and count him. And then of all the other guys they got, maybe you like Hector Perez a little bit. I like Hector Perez a lot. And so, okay, that's two. Maybe one of the other guys, Espinal, maybe he gets there. Maybe, you know, but again, it's by and large, you look at the six big leaders they traded and the returns for a lot of them, Forrest Wall, Corey Copping. These are maybe up so and down So this is not, guys. I'm sorry, I was asking which who knocked it out of the park. Oh, I think so. You didn't knock it okay, out of the park. So I'm, the sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, so I think the Blue Jays did not knock it out of okay. the park. I think they who do you think knocked it out of the park? Okay. Minnesota, among the selling teams, I think of the buying teams, I still think the Dodgers did the best job of anyone because they got the impact guys without giving up anyone who's going to, you know, present or future was going to play a role for them. That's the definition of trade deadline success. But on the seller side, Minnesota, I thought, did a really nice job. They kept the core of guys they should have. Eddie Rosario, Max Kepler, Jose Barrios. They kept a lot of the players they could really build from while trading the guys who, you know, it just wasn't working out. But they got really good players back, or in some cases where it was working out. Ryan Presley getting back Jorge Alcala and Gilbert Celestino for Ryan Presley, who's a fine reliever, but is he any better than a lot of other of these relievers who were traded? No, and I would argue the Twins got back better players. I think- I, by the way, I am a fan of, I'm absolutely a fan of the trading a reliever who's having a really good year. The, the prime example I can think of is that is this, like, uh, you look at the Marlins, who did it again this year. Um, but a couple of years ago, the Marlins traded Steve uh, Ciszek. Yep. They traded Ciszek for Kyle Bearclaw. From almost the moment that that trade happened, Kyle Bearclaw, who by the way came up and was making you know league minimum, has been the better reliever. Right. Yeah. It's That's right. the kind of trades that you can sometimes make on this when you acquire. And there were a lot of upper level relievers traded but sorry absolutely you know you see that even the dozier trade i think luke rayleigh is one of the sleeper prospects talk about a guy who's ranked a little bit lower but might actually end up being way better than people think he is I, to me he's the guy that kind of fits that this year you know be, going beyond lance lynn deal i mean the, the twins did a really good job i thought of just acquiring both volume and quality and again when you're a selling team that's for, you know a, a true selling team that's really all you can ask for I'll say the team I thought knocked out of the park is, is I didn't I was impressed what the Brewers did. Now again, on the, I don't on even, the buyer side, absolutely. On the buyer side, I don't know. I don't even know how it all fits together because they now have Mike Mustakis, Travis Shaw, and Jonathan Scope to play second and third. 
with the possibility, which I still think they should, if you're gonna go into the, hey, we're playing Travis Shot second, maybe they think that putting Shot second and Scope at short like is a bridge too far on the defense, uh, you know, causing problems. But they have, that's, that's too that's almost too many guys, but that's depth. And I like that they didn't go out and overpay for a starter necessarily that, you know, they knew, they know the starting rotation is weaker than their bullpen. But come playoff time, having an incredible bullpen can essentially give you more innings per night than your starter. And you're still hoping Jimmy Nelson comes back, and that might be as much of an addition as anyone you could get at the trade deadline. But you look at their bullpen, you feel very good about their bullpen now, and you say, okay, I would imagine, you know, if they end up in the wild card, in that wild card game, you're not going to see... Uh, if they're they're start the quit the hook is going to be very quick and it should be because they have guys who could go out there for multiple innings. Look at that Je- Jeffers Hader Knable trio at the end. You might see those guys for five innings again. If the sorter goes out and is firing bullets, not a right. worry. But, but you can but get right. rid of those guys. But, pretty but quick. I look at them. The other thing that did stand out to me about the trade deadline is is that, and we tried to reflect this a little bit in our prospect rankings. I, I it was a an intentional point. It's 2018 when we used to talk about. Oh, you know, well, this guy's a reliever. And so because he's a reliever, he can't, you know, he doesn't have the value of this guy who's a starting pitcher. And there's still, to an extent, there's some truth to that. But one of the things that teams now value so much is everyone's going to use 15 or more relievers in a year. You're going to have your... You're gonna have your closer, your couple of setup guys who, and then it's a lot of optionable relievers. You're well, absolutely. Back and forth it is. Up. It is guys who either who basically ideally are guys who you can rotate through. There are there are. I, again, I see a lot of AAA baseball, and the amount of guys in AAA who have been to the big, the amount of guys in big in AAA bullpens who've been to the big leagues at some point during the season. Is amazing. It's it's ama- It blows you away. Like this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy have all been the majors, and some of them have been in the majors and then DFA and then cleared waivers and then signed to a AAA contract and then put back on the forty man and DFA and they do the process two or three times. But when we talk about the Cody Carrolls, the Bobby Walls, the probably in the long run the Cody Maderoses, these there were uh, there was a a lot of tonnage of upper level minor league relievers who or starters who are going to go to the pen who if you look at them and you say are they going to be closers well probably not but teams do value a guy like bobby wall who i'm a, I'm a high guy on bobby wall you know i know that mets fans understandably felt like that their the return on hate on juris familia was light but bobby wall has is a he's had a injury love history that is frightening to look at. It is he's missed time a whole lot of different years, but when he's healthy, which he is right now, Bobby Wall is a guy who can dominate for an inning with top shelf stuff. Something he's done at AAA this year. At the time he was traded, he was on probably the best stretch of his career. And if you told me that Bobby Wall ends up coming up, and maybe they don't even do it this year, like I mean, you're adding the 40-man in the offseason, next year, you know, he comes up, and he gives you two to three years of very solid relief, 
which is going to get him to almost age 30. And then he's going to get a little more expensive, and then he ends up being, you know, if he's healthy at that point, you can then turn around and trade him in one of these deals that we're seeing. That wouldn't shock me. Or Cody Carroll, or Cody Medeiros. Like, again, they're going to be relievers. Even even go for, you know, a guy like a Seth Elledge, who's a good relief mm-hmm. prospect. You move, you know, maybe David Paulino ends up in relief. You know, all these guys we're talking about are the guys we had in our top 20 in our prospect uh, trade rankings. But even if you go down to the... The 20s, the 30s, the 40s, even, you know, the Corey Coppings and Devin Smeltzers of the world. I mean, Billy if Tra- they end up giving you, if they end up giving you 25 to 35 good innings and you're pendering a year, and 10 of those come in situations where the bullpen was blown out, and so this guy was in AAA, we brought him up, he saved us for a couple of days, and then when everyone got rested, we optioned him down. There's value in that. And the other thing is, is that is happening, this is a bigger picture story I want to do at some point, but is because everyone uses so many relievers, one of the things that's a, a knock on that is, is, but you only have so many 40-man spots. But we're seeing, I, when it comes to back of the bullpen relievers, those guys don't get claimed. And so everyone's kind of accepted that, no, 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 you, everyone can rotate through these guys. and. The Luke Jacksons of the world can be DFA'd three times in a year and clear weight, clear through every time. So, you know, it, it is a situation where, there's a, again, there's some value in these. Now, ideally, you'd love to get the starting pitching prospect who is going to be a potential number two or number three for you. But Or even the everyday, the everyday position player you can stick in your lineup, even if it's the number seven spot, and say, hey, you know, you're going to play every day for us. And but about... You were run out of the guys who feel confident saying that those guys were traded. You're not into the teams yet on, on our rankings before you get to this guy could be useful. He could get 400 at bats. He could be utility man. He could be a reliever. Which, again, just circles back to, I think, for a lot of teams now, again, it's a great time to be, okay, we need a major leaguer. Okay, we can get a good one for... You know, a guy who maybe, if everything clicks, might be a role player in three years. That's just the way the game has gone with some of the contracts and stuff. So it's it's a good time to be a buyer. I do want to ask. So I, you mm-hmm. know, I put out there of the buyers to me, uh, the Dodgers, the team that that did the best, and the sellers. I, I really like what Minnesota did, probably above all else. You mentioned for you, you thought the Brewers were the team as buyers I'll, did a good I'll, job. I'll throw another one. Is is the Braves also because the Braves are caught in. I'll throw the Phillies in this too. The Braves and Phillies both are teams that ended up being their rebuilds hit full speed. It's kind of like what the Brewers did last year. The rebuilds hit full speed. If not a year before you expected, everything broke a little quicker. Like the Nationals, the Nationals firing Dusty Baker and going and basically saying, you know what? Let's just try a new manager. Oh, wait, this didn't work for us four years ago. Let's do it again. Oh, wait, it's not working. How did this happen? Well, the Nationals imploding. And, and the Mets being the Mets. And the Mets being terrible. That, by, and the Marlins going into full rebuild, that's given those teams an opportunity to be good a year ahead of schedule. And, and that's what I'd like to point out when we say, you know, ETA on talent hitting and whatnot, some of this is about what happens around them, which yes. is not always predictable. So that, that's one of the things I hate to say, but when you talk about the Orioles and you say, well, you know, this problem they've got is, is Yankees aren't going anywhere. Red Sox aren't going anywhere. Blue Jays have a better farm system, are further along in their rebuild 
did the Orioles. And then the Rays, I like what the Rays did too. That's something we'll you know touch on at least before we get, finish this up. But so that's the, the, the tough thing they have is, is they don't have a Marlins in there, you know. And I agree. I just, I will say, if you go back to 2016 and you say, man, the Mets just won the, got to the World Series mm-hmm. and the Nationals look like they're going to be around forever. And by 2018, both of them have collapsed. I do think there are times where things you can. When you the, say the Nationals, this was the end point for the Nationals probably all along. It was, but I think you expect them to still be good no, in 2018. No, absolutely. You so did. I th- I you think did. But this is basically their demise is coming three months earlier than we expected. So, but but look, you look at the Braves. The Braves had clear needs. They needed another starting pitcher. Ideally, you know, one at least, two wouldn't be bad, but one starting pitcher. And they needed a massive amount of reinforcements in a bullpen that has very few reliable options. And those reliable options are guys who have enough injury histories that you don't want to use them too much. Well, they went out and did that. Brad Brack for slot money is a fantastic deal. Darren O'Day for the be willing to take Darren O'Day's salary is. And, and I think it's important. O'Day, he's hurt. He's out all this year, but he's back next year. That's mm-hmm. a good bullpen arm that is going to yes. help them. And then Kevin Gossman, who I, I, I'm just going to say, I think that was highway robbery. That one, I really do. Kevin Gossman, who probably will be their two or three starter if they make the playoffs, assuming that he pitches the way we expect him to do. I mean. You know, yeah. again, depends on Soroka's health. Newcomb Fultonewitz will be the one, too. And, right. And then he'll be in that three. Three, form. like, yeah. I mean, him versus Julio Tehran right, right now. now. Yeah. No, it's So, fair. and the thing about it is, is they didn't trade, they didn't trade a top, in my mind, a top 15 prospect in this deal. Like, John Carlos Encarnacion is a very interesting prospect. He is. He's got a great arm. He's got raw power. These are great attributes. He has a chance to be, he's not a reliable third baseman, yet he has a chance to be an above average defender at third base. He also swings at everything, strikes out a ton. Doesn't walk. Does not walk. And is having what could be described as a solid but unspectacular season in low class A. And by the way, and I know this is unfair, I'm saying it's unfair, but He's older, when we say that, he's 20. Like, he's older than Juan Soto. He's older than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Again, these are unfair. Yeah, I, I but think those, he's those guys a are A 20-year-old in low A having a, a, a solid but unspectacular season is not a top prospect, I guess is what I'm saying. There's enough risk there that there are concerns. Cumberland could be a backup catcher. Maybe if it all comes together, he's a better bat than that, and so he kind of ends up being a catcher first base type. But... He's not having a great season. He walks a lot, does not hit for average, um, has solid but not spectacular power. And these are all things that he's doing as essentially in high A. He was doing in high A this year as a 23-year-old. From right. uh, here's, here's, I think, the better comparison for yeah. Juan Carlos Encarnacion, right? Austin Riley is eight months older. He's raking in AAA. Right. Austin Riley is looking at, do I get called up this year? Encarnacion is in low A. And so... Um, but again, the point being of all this is, is not to, you know, it, the, the point is, is that the Braves did not trade a prospect in any of these deals who significant, played a significant part in their long-term plans. They held on to everyone who, and some extras who were not going to fit their plans, who were top prospects. You know, they already, they, they did that. 
They also got, again, Adam Duvall, who they now have outfield depth. They now have four guys for three spots. They also usefully, match them. They can... usefully have one of those guys in Ronald Acuna who can play all three. Right, and things, they can all play defense. Adam Duvall, I think because of the way he looks, sometimes people assume he's this big, mm-hmm. stiff slugger. He's not. He's been one of the best defensive left fielders in baseball for years. So, again, he's someone that helps. The Braves are definitely, you know, fascinating. The team in the National League that, you know, made the biggest headlines is the Pirates. They're the ones that are three and a half games out of the wild card. They've got three teams ahead of them. I should say they're three games now. They were three and a half of the times the trades were made with some teams losing yesterday. They're now three games out. Chris Archer for Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now. My actual initial reaction is, and it kind of, and you can tell me if I'm off base here. This is just thinking aloud. I almost feel like by making the majors, Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows' quote-unquote value is lesser than it was when they were prospects. I would – no, I would disagree with that. Okay. And here's why. Here's why. Two things. One – Again, I was just kind of thinking no, about but, it. But, like, but, is no, it, it was but their the values have gone down because – but if Tyler Glasnow was still sitting in AAA and was walking guys in AAA, his value would be less than it is by at least missing that. Right. I guess I was thinking about like where it was like relative to like two, three years no, ago. their values are less than they were two, three years ago because the last two to three years have – I always look at this. When you're talking about a, uh, an 18-year-old pro, all these options are open because it's something where you say, well, this is a strength, this is a weakness, but he has so much time to fix this weakness and strength could get even better. And so you have all these options. And then the older you get, you get to a point and you say, okay, like with Tyler Glasnow, when Tyler Glasnow was 1920 and you saw the stuff, which is great, and you said, yeah, there's some wildness, he does always walk guys. There's concerns that maybe the command control won't be enough for him to get to that. But you know what? He's young. He's got plenty of time to refine those, fix those problems. Every year that that problem remains a significant problem, that becomes a problem. I mean, I, that sounds dumb, but it's, it becomes something where you say, okay, there's less choice, chances of that. With no Tyler Glasnow, Tyler Glasnow now is not the 20-year-old who has all his options remaining where you say, he's got four years to figure this out. That's not a 24-year-old reliever with a 4-3 ERA that you're hoping might be a reclamation project because right. he's so tall. And, and that's where it's just interesting to me. Whereas seeing. Austin Meadows, now Austin Meadows, if Austin Meadows didn't have a great first two weeks when he came up to Pittsburgh, I don't think he has the value he has now. And again, that doesn't mean that Austin Meadows may not be a solid player. I'm not saying that. But... Austin Meadows' track record around the many injuries he's had in the minor leagues the last few years is not that of a top prospect. He does, he's not hit for power. He's been hurt a lot. And I see you working on stats, so tell me. So yeah, what, so, after, so his first, uh, through May, he was, you know, got off to a great start. Since, at the end of May, he was hitting what? He was hitting 409, 426, 795, but that's also... That, 12, 13 days. But, but again, day. those 13 days, he was uh, Ted Williams. Since, goes, I wish since, I was there. since then, his last two months, he's hit 245, 288, 336. And my, now, again, there was a time where he was splitting time. He wasn't getting and regular again, you know, bats. Rookie, there's adjustments, but, and he's going to have to adjust but back. But since you have the computer and I don't, call up his minor league stats. The thing about Austin Meadows is that, again, he has a reason for this that you can explain, which is he's had a multitude of injuries, which is a concern because he's had a multitude of injuries. But it is something where you say, okay, he's had injuries. 
That being said, he has not hit for any power in the minor leagues over the last couple of years. Well, he did in 2016. He did. That was his 2016 yes, season. But, saying, did, but, but that's when year. he was at his peak value as a prospect where the whole world was in front of him. 2017, he went out and he slugged 384. And then 2018, when he's been in the minors, slugged 359. So and that's my point is, is that now again, I absolutely see it is makes all kind of sense if you're the Rays that you say, you know what, we're in essence, in some ways, there is a chance we're buying low on both these guys. Tyler Glasnow, there are guys, Garrett Cole got traded and everyone thought the moment Garrett Cole got traded, it's going to the Astros, it's probably going to help him a lot. And it did. Garrett Cole was a guy, we saw the maximum of what the Pirates were able to get out of Garrett Cole. And the Astros were able to get more. He, they helped him get to a different level. This is not because the Pirates are idiots and the Astros are brilliant, although I think the Astros, when it comes to pitching, are really smart. What it is is there are guys who, for some reason, whatever it is, Tyler Glasnow has reached the point that he's going to reach as a Pirate. Tyler Glasnow, the Ray, maybe they do some things different and it helps him get to there. The same way that maybe... The Pirates can figure out something with Chris Archer that the Rays weren't able to. So overall, this was the headliner deal. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just interesting to me because I do think that Glaston Meadows do have some things to offer the Rays. Archer, again, you're really banking on the trends reversing and you know some of the underlying numbers that showed he was pitching better than maybe the surface stats showed really coming to fruition now he's in the National League. But overall, I mean, just what's your sense with the Pirates, the decisions they made to go make this deal, as well as the Keone Kila deal, giving up Taylor Hearn, who's a very good left-handed pitching prospect. Three and a half games out, they make these two buy moves. I, I know for me, at least, I, I like it. I like that they said, you know what, we have an opportunity. The National League, no one is jumping up and taking it. We have a good group of outfielders where we can make a move, whether moving Meadows. We have, you know, a good, really nice, interesting crop of young starting pitching in the major leagues where, hey, we give up Taylor Hearn, we give up Tyler Glass. Now we still have some good pitchers, and now we're adding Chris Archer to the mix. I definitely agree with the thought process behind a lot of the Pirates' moves. We'll see who this player to be named later is in the Archer deal and how much of an effect that has on the whole Both thing. a significant player. And, and that will have an ultimate effect on you know when we look back. But as of right now, as of August 1st, looking at the players they acquired, the position they're in in the National League wildcard race, I like it. I, I, I think it's a, it was, you know... I do think it was the right thing to do. Now, again, it's up to the players to go out and execute. There's times where teams make the right decisions and it just doesn't work out. That happens. Every There's going to be 29 teams at the end of the year who end up disappointed with the result. Again, yes. If they make the playoffs and lose in the NLDS, they should still be happy. If their fans aren't, they're out no, of their but minds. But, no, I... I, I at least, again, maybe it's unfair because my interaction with Pirates fans are large on Twitter. Oh, they, um, it's but, amazing how much they dislike but, the nutting ownership. There's no but, question. No, there's no doubt. But I'm saying, like, losing in a wild card game. Which I, think even they, which, I think they need to win the wild card but game. But if they can get past that, game, it'll be better. But losing a wild card game, which, by the way, with this team, this season, would have ended up being a very positive accomplishment. They're, but they're, they're sick of losing the wild card game. Yes. I agree. No, but I, overall... So yeah, they don't me, have to win a World Series, but they need to win a series. For me, I, I do think the Pirates, you know, came out of this. Again, there's no question that Tyler Glass and Austin Meadows and Taylor Hearn, by the way, 
have very bright potential futures ahead. And even though in the case of Glassnod Meadows, they're no longer prospect eligibles, we talked about teams acquiring good big leaguers or giving up prospects for kind of meh. The Pirates did take, I think, a little bit of the risk because I think the players they traded on the whole are better than a lot of other players that a lot of other teams dealt. But to get the potential impact they did, I understand it. I don't think it was a poor decision. And I do think they did okay for themselves, all things considered. There's a lot to unpack here, you know, but again, go to baseballamerica.com. We, we unpacked as much as we could. We analyzed every trade. Um, I, I was uh, clever or dumb enough to uh, be at a high school all-star game yesterday. So uh, Kyle and the crew here did, uh, did great work to kind of knock it all out. But uh, with me uh, kind of just coming in to clean up a little bit and do the fun part of ranking prospects at the end of the day. But, uh, but we'll call it there. We could go on a lot longer, but that's a, that's a solid commute that you have uh, hopefully enjoyed this. So for Kyle, I'm JJ. So long, everybody.